Welcome to Nothing to Say, the fans podcast, where sports and entertainment analysis for the fans, by fans. My name is Sam Toomey, and I'm joined every single time by Jason Russell. What's up, Jason? Oh, dude, I'm just happy we got this to work after a litany of technical difficulties. My gosh. People will not know the struggle we have gone to to get them good sports content. It's uh, it's hard to get a podcast to work when you got people in completely different states. We're going to try to make this work. So, uh, yes, we are nothing to say. The fans podcast. We uh, we're not reporters. We're fans, and that's the uh, that's the angle we're taking on this because ninety nine percent of the people. Uh, out there are fans, so we're going to try to bring a, a fan's perspective uh, to the world of sports and to the world of uh, podcasts. So the way that this is going to work, uh, it's going to be about an hour show, um, and we're going to do this in 10-minute uh, segments. So the first 10 minutes, we're going to talk about the uh, Western Conference and the NBA. Uh, from 10 minutes to 20 minutes, we're going to talk about the uh, the eighth seed. Who's going to be fighting for the eighth seed uh, in the playoffs this year in the Western Conference? Then for the next 10 minutes, we're going to move into some contract stuff. Uh, Sam posed a question to me not too long ago that uh, I think will make a really interesting conversation. Then we're going to move into the Eastern Conference because there is another conference in the NBA. And then for the uh, the last we're, one, we're, uh, we're going to talk about movies um, and kind of talk about entertainment because we are also an entertainment podcast. Um, so that's the lineup. Sam, that sound good? Yeah, it sounds great. If uh... – our viewers have anything they want us to talk about for future podcasts because this is definitely not going to be a one-off. We're we're going to try to make this a thing for a regular thing. If if any of you guys have ideas for us to talk about or want us to talk about, then DM us through our Instagrams or since most of our viewers are probably going to be close friends or family going on, you guys can just text us what you want us to talk about. Yeah. All righty. Um, all right, so the first 10 minutes is obviously going to be uh, allotted to the Western Conference. And um, the first question that I asked you, I actually asked you a week ago. Um, you gave me your list for who you think is going to be um, one through eight uh, in the Western Conference this year. And I'm just going to read it off. And I'm going to make sure this is still where you stand. So you had the Clippers at one, Lakers, Jazz, Houston, Golden State, Denver, Trailblazers, Spurs. That was your lineup, right? Yes. Okay. Um, I the only there I differ from you in a little bit. We both have the Clippers and Lakers one two. You have the Jazz at three. I have Houston at three. The mm-hmm. Trailblazers at four. The Jazz at five. Um, Golden State at six. Denver at seven, and the Spurs and the Spurs at eight. So we actually like one. We're pretty different from three through three through seven, um, big time. So mainly our differences are Houston, the Trailblazers, the Jazz, Golden State, and Denver. I you are really high on the Jazz, and I understand why. With all the accusations they made, I just don't think they're. I don't think they're a number three team. I really don't. Uh, they, I get the feel from them like they're the prime San Antonio Spurs team where when they had Duncan, Ginobili, and Parker in their primes, they weren't going to beat themselves. They were always going to play really consistent with not super high highs, but not like super low lows. 
So you would have to play your best game to beat them. That's what I kind of get with this Utah team. With Mike Conley, who's probably the best old-school point guard model. Not a big scorer looking more to facilitate, which will really open up for Donovan Mitchell to probably have a big breakout year this year. Um, I just think that team gels the best together, and they're not super big egos, not super flashy. They're not going to make a lot of noise, but in the regular season, they're going to get a lot of wins and not as many losses, which is the name of the game. Yeah. Um, so let's. So I think their biggest accusation was uh, acquisition. What did I say? Accusation. Did I? Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, uh, <laughs> anyway, I think that anyway. I think uh, their biggest free agency move was definitely the signing of uh, Bogdanovich from the Pacers. Like, I don't I think that's going to go. Um, I mean, obviously, you look at the Kevin Durant trade, the Paul George trade, the oh, my bad, the Kevin Durant trade, the Paul George trade, the Kawhi Leonard trade. All of those are going to get looked at as like the biggest moves in the offseason. But I think a sneaky move from the Jazz that might end up being arguably one of the best moves that a team made uh, was getting Bogdanovich. He's coming off of – he averaged 18, 18 points, four rebounds, two assists, about a steal a game. Um, he did that in not only the regular season but the postseason as well in the four games that they got to play. This dude is really, really solid and is going to help space the floor for Donovan Mitchell, who obviously can shoot, but I mean, I think you compared him to like Dwayne Wade. Yeah. About it, um, more of a slasher. And I, I honestly can see that. And that's just gonna, it's gonna open up the floor big time for, uh, for Mitchell. And uh, Conley's a more improved shooter than Rubio. And they're going to go, they're probably going to go a little small ball. You think after they lost favors, which will definitely open up the floor for, uh, go bare to dominate the paint and allow Mitchell to slash and dump it off to go bare for easy finishes. Yeah, we can't forget about uh, the best player in the league, and that's Joe Angles. That is definitely Joe. The best substitute teacher posing as a point or as a uh, basketball player. Ah, dude, I love Joe Angles, and I love I love the fact that he just like he looks like a UPS driver, right? But he's got all the confidence in the world. And if you're like talking smack to one of his guys, he's going to be the first one in your face. And I absolutely love it. Uh, he's just, he looks so unintimidating. And then he just goes out there and just, he just balls. Um, so yeah, he's... I mean, I, I agree. I think the jazz are going to be really, really good. But honestly, I, cause I mentioned the, the Bogdanovich, uh, trade as something that uh, might be kind of sneaky as one of the bigger moves of the offseason. I actually think one that kind of flew under the radar a little bit was Hassan Whiteside to the uh, to the Trailblazers. I think that's going to be a, a pretty big move as well. Uh, it's good in the sense that I guess they know more about the Nurkic injury than we do, but he was he was walking without a boot in the playoffs. Yeah. So I can't imagine he's that far from coming back. Well, probably not. Um, but, I mean, regardless, 
I mean, Hassan Whiteside at his peak in Miami was, I mean, he was a double-double. He's been a double-double guy since 2014. And in 2016, he had, he was averaging 17 points a game. And four, almost four blocks in 2000. Oh, I was just about to ask how many blocks. Yeah, he was from 2014 to 2018. He had one season where he was averaging about four, but pretty much consistently he's been averaging two blocks a game. Um, this is why I, I like that move in the sense – I'm obviously not as high on the Trailblazers. I have them at seventh. I think you had them at like sixth or I have, fifth. I have them at four. Four. Ooh, even higher. Um. I was just wasn't too big because the they were third last year, and I don't think I think they're pretty much the same team that they were last year. And the whole Western Conference as a whole got better with Houston. I think got better with Westbrook over Paul and Utah. We just discussed got better, and the Lakers and Clippers both getting better. So I think just by a process of elimination, the Trailblazers are going to fall. Not because they're not playing well, just because they're not as good as those other teams. Well, if we look at one through eight last year, we'll just kind of go down the list. So the Golden State Warriors, obviously, they lost Kevin Durant and Clay's injured, so they got worse. Like, just, I mean, they're still the Warriors, but they did get worse. I mean, D'Angelo Russell's beast. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> ask ask any Lakers fan. True. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Denver Nuggets, they didn't... Uh, they didn't make a ton of moves this offseason, did they? No, I, but for a team like that, they just get they just got one year more of experience yeah. for Jamal Murray and Jokic, which makes them better. And both of them are they're so both of them. Um, Denver Nuggets are. I mean, they're going to be around for a while. Portland. Who's their, got, um, what's up? Who's the Who's the shooting guard on Denver? Who is the shooting guard on Denver? Um, I know who you're talking about. Uh, they had Gary Harris for a little bit, but I don't know if he was their starter. Uh, they had Will Barton as well. Um, I think Harris started. Will Barton's on a on a twelve million dollar salary, so they're paying him quite a bit. Uh, Gary Harris, Gary Harris, Will Barton, and uh. Uh, Michael Beasley. Harris is still on the team, right? Uh, yes, Harris is still on the team. Yeah. The big thing with him was he was he's a good he's a good starter in the NBA. He just couldn't stay healthy. True. The last year. True. They they Denver is interesting because in a guard driven league, which is the NBA is now, they have five deep in serviceable guards that can guard any position and go at anybody. Mm-hmm. It's kind of, cr- I was very impressed watching them play against Portland. Who's got probably the best backcourt in the NBA, especially well next year since Clay's out. Well, and the thing about Denver too, as I'm looking at their roster, they only have one person on their roster who's in their thirties and that's Paul Millsap and he's 34. Everybody else is still in their twenties. Paul Millsap's still giving it to people too. I know he's he's on a uh, almost thirty million dollar uh, contract <laughs> right now. He sh- he should be giving it to people then, <laughs> right? Um, so actually, this will work nicely with what we want to talk about next because we go down the we go down the uh, 
the Western Conference last year. Portland, pretty much the same. They got Whiteside. Houston, you can argue that they got better with Westbrook. I don't think anybody's really going to know until we until we see that actually play out. Oh, I have an interesting thing about that. Okay. Um, do you remember it was two years ago now, three years ago, when Chris Paul first went there? Yeah. Um, whichever year it was, that whole offseason – we heard the same narrative that these two couldn't play together. They're too ball dominant. And to their credit, they went out the whole summer, played pickup games, five on five, which you can poo poo all you want. Like they're not real games, but you're still playing basketball together. And that team was one game away from winning an NBA championship. True. With, get past Golden State, then they would have probably went through Cleveland. So. They would have throttled that Cleveland team. Yeah. Uh, if As long as uh, Chris Paul doesn't get injured, that that experiment would have worked. It definitely, I don't, yes. I don't see why Westbrook and Harden can't figure out a way to play together. I think Harden more so has to be able be the one to say, I'll play off Westbrook because he's just a way better shooter than Westbrook is. Westbrook can't play off Harden as well. I agree. I 100% agree with that. I'm not saying that they can't work. I think the difference between Chris Paul and Russell Westbrook, besides their physical aspects, is I honestly think Westbrook is probably a more ball-dominant player than Chris Paul in that sense. Because Chris Paul can play off ball. He can shoot. Chris Paul was a Mm -hmm. good shooter. So I think Westbrook just demands the ball a little bit more. Um and, I mean, at that point, you're taking touches away from Harden. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see um, how that works out. Um, so, I'm not going to say that they got better. I'm not going to say that they got worse. They're still the Rockets, and they're still going to play the same exact way. Yeah. Um, so, that'll be interesting to see. We both agree that Utah got a lot better. Oklahoma City, obviously, uh, they lost Paul George, and they lost Westbrook. So, they, they got worse. San Antonio got better. The Clippers got exponentially better. So did the Lakers. So if we're kind of looking at, like, the bottom of the pack, well, actually, I wouldn't say the bottom of the pack, kind of middle of the pack, 7, 8, 9, 10. Um, we're both Kings fans, and we obviously think that the Kings, um, I mean, they stayed relatively the same. I mean, they got Trevor Ariza, and they re-signed Harrison Barnes. So that was all good. Um, the Kings were the first were the first team out in terms of the Western Conference. Um, when I'm looking at like seven, eight, nine, ten, who's going to be fighting for that like a seed in the Western Conference? I'm going to put money on the fact that it's going to be the Kings, the Spurs, and probably Dallas, and maybe New Orleans, depending on how. I know that's a lot of teams, but in terms of mm-hmm. um, if New Orleans can, I mean, New Orleans is really, really young, and they have a bunch of new players. But I wouldn't be surprised if that works right off the bat. I think Dallas getting Porzingis back, having um, – good Lord. Why am I blanking on his name? Luca um, being in the second year. I think it's going to come down to the Kings, Spurs, and probably the Mavericks for that eight. Um, you'd, you'd put – yeah, we're both Sacramento Kings fans. But objectively, which I think we're going to try to be going yeah. through this whole process – Sacramento's a better overall team than Dallas is. Yes. 
Dallas doesn't have anything outside of Doncic and Porzingis. No. At least nothing that's coming off. Well, actually, Dallas has a couple because it sort of depends on. I mean, because what do you what do you mean by um, like star power on their team? No, 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 not star power. I was gonna say the Kings don't have star power. <laughs> if you look at the the two best players on Dallas versus the two best players in Sacramento, Dallas is far and away better. Yes, but I think the role players that surround, and we're talking about De'Aaron Fox and Marvin Bagley versus Luka Doncic and Kristaps Porzingis. If you look at the role players around Fox and Bagley in your buddy Heels, who's probably going to average 20 points again this year, your Harrison Barnes, who's a good three and D lengthy defender, your Corey Joseph, who's coming off the bench now as your backup point guard, who's played for San Antonio, played for Indiana, played for Toronto. A lot of good uh, playoff experience there. And your Bogdanoviches, your Bogdan Bogdanovich coming off the bench, hmm. which is some good firepower off the bench. I just don't think Dallas has that. And maybe that's just my bias coming in because I've watched the Kings so much more than Dallas. Yeah. But I just... I just feel like they have more legitimate pieces surrounding their two star, their two potential star players. No, I got you. I get what you're saying. I'm looking at their roster right now, um, and the names that are kind of sticking out to me is names that I think people would really know. Um, is obviously Porzingis, who's, um, I mean, he's. I mean, say what you want about Porzingis. I mean, he's obviously going to be coming off of an injury, but the dude is – he's still a stud. So if he can come back and be exactly what he was, that'll be huge for them. Um, and I think him and Luca actually work really well together for I, sure. Yeah, no, I agree. And Porzingis is 23 and uh, Luca wow. is 20. So. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. I honestly thought Porzingis was older than that. It just feels like he's been around for a little bit longer. but Yeah. Um. That's the same thing about Steven Adams, too. I thought Steven Adams was, like, in his 30s. The dude's still in his 20s. Who the Kings need to trade for, but okay. that's that's another story. Yeah. Um, uh, I think uh, the thing with Porzingis, though, he hasn't played many games in the last two seasons. No, he's not. He's a seven-footer that plays away from the basket, which – and he's got more weight on him than Kevin Durant does – that's a lot of pressure on a guy's joints. No, I get it, yeah. Are we sure he's going to, like, be able to stay healthy in his career? Um, well, he played 48 games um, in the 2018-2017 uh, season. Um, and then the year before that, okay, so he's gone. So in his three – so these are his three uh, seasons in the league. He went um, 72 games, 66 games. 48 games. So they, the, the trend is going down <laughs> mm-hmm. through the first um, three seasons. I mean, do you remember what his injury was? Uh, it was a leg injury. Um, I don't is it ACL. I don't exactly remember uh, what it was. Um, and this is like a perfect illustration, guys, of how we are not 
experts. No, 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 no. I mean, whatsoever. No, no, no. It was, uh, it was an ACL injury. That's what it was. It was. Hey. Yeah, I mean, you knew it was a. I knew it was a leg injury. You guessed it was an ACL. So we got there eventually. Yeah. Um. As long as, as long as our listeners enjoy people talking about stuff they have no idea what they're talking about, we're gonna do so so well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I hundred percent agree. This is I mean that's that's it's in the title. It's a fans podcast. We're not we're not reporters, and that's kind of the that's kind of the niche and kind of the joke of the show. Um, but I mean, just back to Dallas real quick. Like the names I was looking at. I mean, Trey Burke is solid. Seth Curry, say what you want. He's a good shooter. Um, I forgot about Seth. Yeah, Luca, Tim Hardaway Jr. is there. Um, Devin Harris is a veteran point guard. Uh, Justin Jackson is there. You hate Justin Jackson. <laughs> um, oh, he's, he's trash. Former Kings player. And uh, Boban Marjanovic is uh, on the team now. Um, and Boban's like, I mean, he's, a, again, he's there with Joe Angles as arguably the best player in the league. If you go by PER, he's Bro. the greatest thing since sliced bread. I'll tell you what, uh, Dallas has three players on their team who are over 7-2. They have Chris Tapps, who's 7-3. Um, I don't even know how to say this guy's name. <laughs> Salha Madri. <laughs> oh, wow. Good effort. That's my best guess. He's seven two and Bobon seven three, mm-hmm. so if they needed a rebound at the end of the game, just throw them all in. Um, so yeah, I mean, we talked about Dallas, we talked about the Kings, um, and I really think I mean, the Spurs. I mean, the Spurs are the Spurs, and until they fall off a cliff, I think we can just give them the benefit of the, of the doubt that they're going to be in the playoff hunt. Yeah, put some love on the on your San Antonio Spurs. Yeah. Let's hear it. Closet, closet uh, Spurs fan for a very long time. Um, oh, you were you were out of the closet for the- when they were winning them championships, bro. Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, Kawhi Leonard, Manu Ginobili. Like Tony Parker was my favorite point guard. Tim Duncan was my favorite player. And as soon as Kawhi came to the team, like. I mean, he's been my favorite player since he came to the league, and Pop's been my favorite coach. So it was easy for me to. The Kings were the regular season team, and when I and then the Spurs were the postseason team. Like it was, that's how it went. But my allegiance was always with the Kings. Um, yeah, just just say say good things about San Antonio. I'll, I'll just sit here. I'll let you do your thing. Okay. <laughs> um, now, so. So we were talking earlier um, about the uh, about obviously all the moves that have been made, and we talked about how that's going to impact the Kings, how it's going to impact the Spurs, even the Mavericks a little bit, uh, and just how the Western Conference has shaken out with all these moves. You brought up an interesting question to me earlier last. Mm-hmm. Players um, and uh, and their contracts that they seem to have to uh, want to leave right in the middle of their contract. Mm-hmm. So go ahead. Um, I just think it's interesting now that the NBA is, is so much different than it was when I first started watching like 10, 15 years ago where players 
have all the power in the world to run this league that if you sign a contract and I don't know why people aren't discussing this more as a fan, Paul George had an opportunity to go to Los Angeles, his hometown last year as a free agent and no one would have batted an eye, but he signed, he committed to a multi-year max deal to the Oklahoma City Thunder. And after one year, he backs out? I know the NBA is going to try to address this, and they're they're pretty up in arms about Kawhi um, talking to Paul George about joining up. But you, if you're the NBA, you can't have big-name players demanding trades – and threatening to hold out when they have multiple years left on their deal. The whole Anthony Davis debacle that was last year, I don't know. You can't really say there's a cause to it because the NBA has been for empowering players, and they put their players on a pedestal. LeBron is the biggest thing. And then maybe the Lakers are shortly behind it, or the Golden State Warriors are behind it. But LeBron is first, right? Yes. And that's what the NBA has, has been giving us, and that's been working. But now I think they've, they've put themselves in a corner where they've empowered the players so much that players like Anthony Davis and Paul George are running teams while under contract. And some of the blame goes to the organizations that are enabling that to happen, but they, they have no choice. New Orleans is a small market team and OKC is a small market team. I guess I'm, I'm pretty passionate about this because say, and this is where I think you can jump in, Jason, say De'Aaron Fox wakes up after the Kings are going to sign him to a multi-year max deal that what Ben Simmons probably got. Somewhere along those lines, right? Yeah, it'll probably be a little bit less, but I get what you're saying. Sacramento's going to sign him. And what if De'Aaron, with four years left on his deal, says, yeah, I'm not playing for this team this team anymore. Uh, you guys got to move me. Well, that's see, a, here's, like that, That's a problem for the NBA. Yeah, and I'm not going to disagree with you in the sense that it's a problem, but I'm also gonna I'm also gonna say this in the sense that like, what can they do? Like, I don't think the NBA really has a way of of saying because you talked about like the players kind of holding teams hostage in terms of saying like, okay, hey, I don't want to be here anymore, move me. Well, if the NBA came out and said, hey, you can't leave until your contract is over, well, then it's just kind of the same thing in reverse. The NBA is almost holding the players hostage. I mean, you can't force somebody to to stay where they're unhappy. So I guess my thoughts on it is, yes, it's probably a problem, and I would like to see players, you know, if they make a commitment to a team to, to fulfill that commitment. But at the same time, it's like – I kind of understand it because if you want to leave you should have the right to be able to leave um i've heard that a lot 
but you're signing a contract with millions and millions of dollars on the line. Like these are high stake deals that these players are signing. If you're not sure you're going to want to be in that place for that long, why are you signing that contract? Well, because it may seem, I mean, it's that, it's that always, it's that old saying that grass is always greener somewhere else. I mean, you could, it could look pretty and nice on the outside when you, when you first kind of like, I'm not, I'm not saying this is going to happen, but let's say, cause, uh, how many years did Paul George sign with the, uh, with the Clippers? I think it was, um, it was either a four year or five year. Yeah. So let's just say, let's just say like he comes over right now. It looks great on paper. Like Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, that whole team, it looks great. He may get there and absolutely hate it, but from like, Big picture-wise, it seemed really, really, like, intriguing. It seemed like a good good idea. But when you when you get there and you get down to the to the finite details of living in L.A. and, and being there on that team, maybe it is nowhere near what he thought it was going to be. And it shouldn't be – it shouldn't be, like – because you're almost – it's almost a punishment at that point for making the wrong decision. And I'm saying, like, Paul George, if he didn't like being in L.A., yeah. then it's the wrong well, decision. Well, you, as the NBA, you almost punish him and saying, okay, well, sorry, but you signed the deal. You're going to be here for five years. That's, that, that's not right, you know? Like, what if you uh, – I'll give you this. What if you um, got a job offer and it was like, there's, okay. There's nothing – there's no other equivalent to this situation because there's – not millions and millions of dollars on the line. And I don't have an obligation to an organization and fans that I committed to. That's what these contracts are. I mean, if you, if you want to, if you're in the NBA and you just go out and say, Hey, these contracts are five year, $200 million, but you don't, you don't have to be on that team for that deal that you just signed with. I think it just, it ruins small market teams. And I know that the NBA has tried with the Supermax and the Maxes to really give power back to small market teams. Yeah. But if you're just allowing players to leave, who committed to you? I get the whole, hey, situations change and everything, but the situation didn't change in Oklahoma City from one year to the next for Paul George. That was the same exact team that he committed four years of his career to. I think you gotta, you definitely gotta make the players accountable for these decisions that they're making. You give them a whole summer to make this decision after the playoffs end. And they have all the, all the access to these different organizations, everything like these decisions I'm assuming aren't rash and just totally out of the blue. They're researched and talked about by their agents. Well, I mean, I don't know what the NBA can do like other than like, say like, I don't know, I guess the only, cause I'm, I'm trying to think of like how they would combat this. And I guess the only way that I could, that I could, picture them 
kind of trying to put a stop to this would be, hey, if you signed a, you signed a four-year or five-year deal, you have a minimum of two years that you have to um, spend with that team. Instead I was of just, just like thinking a, that. Yeah, just think... like a one – like a, like a minimum of two years. Like if you sign a four or five or six year deal, you have to be there for at least two seasons. The earliest you can get traded if you sign a five year max deal is with two years left on your contract. Oh, that should two be the years earliest. left on your contract. Yeah. I mean, unless you want to go to one, but I think then you're you're kind of. Because then you're kind of like making the situation worse because no team could get back the value for that player. I guess I was just saying like if – because if Paul George is – say he signed – I don't know if he signed a four- or five-year deal, but he signed a four- or five-year deal with the Clippers. Um, let's just say that in – I was saying like – because he could at the end of this season say I want to leave, but I was saying he couldn't – if you put a – a two-year cap on it saying you can't leave until you fulfill being with this team for two years, which I know is no, no, no. Two years. Um, or is that what you're saying? As long that's as what I was for... saying. I was saying on the front half of the contract, you mm-hmm. were saying on the back end of the contract. Yeah. I'm, th- I'm thinking more with remain years remaining than years played for. Right. Well, I mean, I mean, we're just spitballing here. And honestly, I know I'm personally speaking out of both sides of my mouth because I honestly don't think that, um, like, on one hand, I don't think you should handicap players that way. If they want to leave, they should have the the right to leave. But, I mean, on the other hand, if if I was really trying to find a solution, I think it would have to be written in that contract somewhere that you can't – either your solution or my solution – with yeah. two years left on the contract or two years into the contract. So it'll be yeah, either some some year stipulation that totally hampers getting traded. I'll, uh, I wanted to spin it to you like this, though. Say a max level player. Oh, we'll just stick with Paul George because he's, <laughs> he's, well, here, he's let's, easy. Well, let's move to actually – because we got to move to the Eastern Conference. Let's move, uh, this, let's move this to Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving. Because they just went okay. So Kyrie or Kevin Durant, injury prone, signs with Brooklyn. Say he comes back, he rushes back this year, nowhere near ready. He ruptures his Achilles again, doesn't play basketball again. The the Nets can't move him. They're stuck with that contract. Mm-hmm. That's not a that's not a situation that they agreed to. They didn't agree to signing an injured Kevin Durant. They agreed to a Kevin Durant that would play at phenomenal level for four years. But, well, but the, they the actually organized... did agree to signing an injured Kevin Durant. Not right like, to that extent. Not right. to that extent. So I'm, uh, I'm getting at like, okay, so Kyrie, he's completely healthy, right? Yeah. So the Nets signed him to a max deal. Was it four years or something like that? The years don't yeah. really matter, but yeah. So they're signing him to four years where they believe he's going to play at peak level for four years, right? Mm-hmm. And if he gets injured, which is not his fault, but if he gets injured, he can't live up to that. An organization is stuck with that contract. Yeah, I think it's it's 
the flip side is if a player signs with if Kyrie signs with Brooklyn and Brooklyn totally fires all their management, they trade all their players, they're just bad. Kyrie can't control that just as much as Brooklyn can't control if he gets injured. But why is Brooklyn punished for an injured player, but the players allowed to leave if the team they signed for isn't what they were promised? You see what I'm getting at? I mean, I, yeah, I get what you're saying. Like, on, like why both, is the t- on both why is occasions, the-, the team is getting hurt. Yeah, exactly. Like, the team's getting punished for committing to a player who gets injured. And if a player commits to a team that doesn't live up, they're allowed to back out. Right. No, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. And honestly, I don't – I know – I mean, (laughs) we'll never be in any uh, NBA executive office, so we'd never be able to know what they were talking about. Oh, true, actually. Oh yeah, for for listeners at home, I'm going to be the next uh, the Kings general manager one day. Just so you guys know, um, a little uh, subtitles to that. He is uh, a business major, so that's pretty funny. Um, <laughs> so you're just so we're I'm just putting that out there so people don't just think you're going to walk in, kick the Kings doors down, and be oh, like, "Boom, I'm your new manager." That's what I'm going to do. That's pretty much the plan at this point. Right. Um, <laughs> So we ha- we touched on that. We touched on um, we went a little bit long with that contract stuff, but I think that's okay because I think it was a good conversation. Um, I think it was a great conversation. Absolutely. Um, so just a little quick uh, on the Eastern Conference because I don't think the Eastern Conference has necessarily changed as much as the Western Conference did, at least in terms of star power. Um, you had Jimmy Butler go to Miami. You had uh, Kyrie and. Kevin Durant go to Brooklyn. Obviously, Boston lost uh, Kyrie. So there was some movement. Um, and Kem- Kemba went there. True. Kemba did go there. Um, I did forget about him. And then Ben Simmons got signed uh, to Philly. Uh, Brogdon. Hey. Yeah, he did. Um, did you hear? The- um, I heard a report that he's actually, coaches are saying he's actually shooting and shooting threes in practice. Have to wait and see. <laughs> um, hope that's then, hope uh, that's true. Yeah, for his sake, honestly. Um, and then Malcolm Brogdon went from Milwaukee to Indiana, which I think is honestly probably going to be a pretty big move. Um, so last year it was Milwaukee, and then obviously Kawhi left Toronto, but Milwaukee, Toronto, Philadelphia, Boston, Indiana, Brooklyn, Orlando, Detroit. That was the standings last year. I honestly, looking at Milwaukee, Toronto, Philadelphia, Boston, all those teams that I just mentioned, I think in ter- I think the playoff picture is going to look relatively the same. I think Miami's probably going to slide in over Detroit or Orlando, so I think one of those is going to get swapped for Miami. Um, mm-hmm. But I honestly think the playoffs for the Eastern Conference is going to look relatively the same. Toronto is obviously going to fall, but I don't think they're going to fall out of the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think Miami is probably going to slide in with take Detroit or Orlando spot. But other than that, I honestly think the playoff picture is going to look relatively the same in terms of teams, not in terms of position, but just in terms of teams. 
I think it would go Milwaukee, Philly, Boston. I think everyone just moves up one, and Toronto falls to seventh. Probably. And so you got or, so be Orlando Milwaukee. and yeah, Milwaukee, Philly, Boston, Indiana, Indiana probably four. Yeah. Um. I I don't I honestly don't because there's not much difference between the other teams. I guess Toronto would probably slot in five, and then Brooklyn. Miami and I'll probably go Orlando. I think Brooklyn might slide in over Toronto. Um, mm, Toronto's a better team, I feel like. I don't know. I'm just thinking about Kyrie and how much he could account for. I'm, I'm not sure um, because I, I mean, we're guessing on unknowns in terms of both of those teams because we have no idea what Toronto's going to be like without Kawhi. The whole, other than, actually, the whole without Kawhi or unknown. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. The whole East is unknown except for Milwaukee. I'd say Philly's an unknown because we don't know what they're going to look like in the playoffs. True. Um, with Horford and Embiid and Simmons, if he can actually shoot. Like, that's going to be the worst three-point shooting team in the league. <laughs> Possibly, yeah. Um, I think Indiana's going to be – in the top four, I'm. I really think Indiana's good with with the addition of Brogdon and Oladipo coming back. I think Indiana's going to be really, really good next year. Um, I'm not. Indiana got hit pretty hard in terms of departures because didn't um Darren Collison retire? He retired, and Bogdanovich went over left. to um, yeah. To the and Corey Joseph left, and. Tyreek Evans, I don't think is ever going to play a basketball game sober ever again. Um, I like that team's. Oh, I guess they have Miles Turner still. Yeah, and they like I, I said, mean, they have Oladipo and Brogdon. I I think Indiana is going to be pretty good next season. Um, in a in a pretty, it's not the juggernaut that the Western Conference is. So, no, nah, they'll be they'll be they'll get home court in the East. I think so. They'll probably be at least top four. Um, so, yeah, and that uh, that kind of wraps up the talk about the Eastern Conference. I mean, is there anything really that we uh, that we really missed besides – I mean, besides just talking about the free agency move? I don't think – I mean, the Knicks, I honestly feel bad for Knicks fans. Like, I do and I don't. Yeah, they're um, trash. Like, I mean, because I know everybody was – Everybody on the Knicks side, they almost felt like they deserved uh, freaking Zion, but I guess everybody forgot that there was like a – all the Knicks fans forgot that, yeah, they had a good chance at getting him, but there was also like an 85% chance that they didn't get him. How how confused must Zion have been when New Orleans won? Because I'm sure all the questions he got were, oh, like, are you excited to go to New York? What do you what do you think about New York's roster? Are you going to yeah. make an impact in New York? And then all of a sudden, oh, you're going to New Orleans. Sorry, dude. You can go hang out with Drew Brees. Drew Holiday, the face of New Orleans. <laughs> yeah, not anymore. You know what? I'll actually I'm going to switch my I'm going to put Atlanta in the eighth spot. Atlanta. Yeah. Atlanta. 
Trey well, Trey Young gonna ball out. Okay, I'll tell you what. Atlanta was at 29 wins last year. Detroit was at 41. Detroit was the eighth seed. So you're gonna say that we'll just say relative. We'll say 41 is the mark. You're mm-hmm. gonna give Atlanta 11 more wins. Yeah. Actually, no. I'm sorry. It'd be 12 because I was thinking of 40. I don't know why I said 41, but. That's yeah, a lot of that's a lot of wins back for Atlanta. Yeah, I'm just I'm just going on a hot take. Sure, why not? We saw Brooklyn do essentially the same thing last season. They they went up. Um, how many wins did they gain last season? From uh, so Brooklyn had 42 the year before. They had 28. I guess my my thing is the East is just so weak. That any of those teams could make it? <laughs> you never know. The, the East is really top heavy. Like like LeBron Cavaliers top heavy. Yeah. Yeah. So. And for those people that get that reference, thank you. Thank <laughs> 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 you. Such a sincere like. Well. You know, people are just gonna be like, "What the what the heck is Sam talking about?" I don't go, I don't but that was that was a pretty clever. Yeah, whatever. Okay, <laughs> moving on. Um, so like I said at the beginning of this podcast, and this is speaking to everybody who's listening, uh, we're mm-hmm. gonna be predominantly a sports all, show. All six people. Thanks for, for listening. Yeah. Thanks, thanks for thanks for sticking with us for forty five minutes. No, seriously, just letting us kind of kind of do our thing. Um. So we're going to get into the, uh, like I said, we're going to be predominantly a sports show. Um, and if there's major sports stuff going on the day or the week that we're recording, we'll probably just probably just have sports. Um, but right now we're in kind of a dead period, and we're going to try to hit on uh, some entertainment stuff as much as we can. Um, but especially now because it is such a dead period um, in terms of sports, um, uh, we have a bigger entertainment uh, section. And the very first thing that we're going to talk about has been a heated debate between Sam and I for a long time, um, at least since uh, the last movie came out. Um, like but, so, the the day, I think like right after I watched, or right after you watched it. Yeah. We, we started debating about this. Yeah. So Avengers Endgame just recently, I think it was yesterday or two days ago, and today is um, – July 23rd just recently became the highest grossing movie of all time. It passed Avatar. So yes, no, absolutely. Great job. Congrats. I no, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Congrats, um, Marvel. You made more money. Yep. Good job, Disney. Um, <laughs> yeah, Disney. <laughs> um, and oh. so Here's the thing. I came out of Avengers Endgame, and Aunt, and Sam had seen it before I did. And I saw I, it. I saw it the second day it came out. Yeah. And I immediately texted Sam because I wanted to hear what he had to say about the movie. And I thought we were going to be on the same page, but I was sadly mistaken. So I came out of Avengers Endgame, and I said, hands down, hands down. It wasn't even a, de- a debate in my mind that Infinity War was better. 
It wasn't even close, in my opinion. I loved both movies, but Infinity War just was way better to me. And Sam about came through the phone and strangled me because he was <laughs> on the side of Endgame being better. Well, so we're going to have a little bit of a debate in both of our sides. I'll um, give um, my my perspective. You, I was waiting. I waited. I think I saw it on Friday, and you saw it on like either Sunday or Monday. Yeah, I don't think you understand the amount of patience I had to show because I had no one, none of our friends watch movies or big movies like that. So like I had no one to talk about that movie with. And after you guys, hopefully everyone that's listening has seen it because yeah, yeah. we're obviously going to talk about it. If you haven't it. seen the movie, then it's a, been out I for a know. while. Yeah. Like, <laughs> But there's a lot of stuff that happens in that movie that I really wanted to talk about, but I wasn't allowed to because Jason really wanted to watch it with his dad or something, something you dumb were, like that. Well, you were in a different state, first of all, and I did not want to. I did not want to hear anything about the movie. I wanted to go in completely, completely cold, which is not an unreasonable thing. So want. getting getting all past that, Jason comes out and he's saying nice things about the movie. Because first off, both these movies are are good. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. both of them are good. But he was like he was leading me on. Like I, I was waiting for him to to say it's the best. That's what I was waiting for. And then he throws in this bomb, like this throwaway comment that was like, "Hey, Infinity War is better." And I about lost my mind. I'm telling you, he about came through the phone. I had watched Infinity War. I think the day before because it had just come out on netflix so i was like oh i'll watch it again i don't get why i think that's the consensus pick for the best marvel movie and i guess i just need you to explain it to me because it i don't get a movie that's like setting up another another movie is a complete film with beginning middle and end because there's not really an end to that movie but whatever well see and now we could end up spending a whole entire episode on this but i'll do i'll do the best that i can to kind of shorten it when you get um, it in 10 minutes pretty much yeah um so honestly like i'll, I'll tell you what in terms of all the marvel movies and i'll, I'll give some credit to Endgame here the scene and that at the very end when everybody comes together Everybody comes together. That whole moment when you see all of the heroes lined up, Cap gets the hammer, and he says, Avengers assemble, and then everybody runs forward. That was the best Marvel moment ever, and it's not even close. It's not even close. Okay, I like where this is going. Yeah, it's not even close. So in terms of that and giving like an extremely satisfying end, to the Avengers arc, like seeing everybody together uh, and having Cap say that was amazing. Like the theater went berserk when that happened. So oh, that was he, awesome. When the, the hammer came back to him and he caught it. Yeah. I got goosebumps. Everyone like stood up and cheered. It was pretty, it was pretty nuts for a yeah, that... theater going experience. I think that was one of the best movies um, for going to and watching in a theater for that sure. that that climactic end. Yes. 
Um, and and here's here's the thing with me. Um, my two biggest, and I'll go through this, um, and then you can give me your thoughts after this. Okay. But for me, the Thor thing, the fat Thor thing was funny at first, but it overstayed its welcome. It lasted too long for me. Yeah, when they it's, were playing Fortnite, that was the best part of it. And then... And then I, I was like, yeah, you got to lose some pounds. Let's let's go. Yeah, and, <laughs> and I think the reason why I hated it so much was because you had such a drastic difference between Thor in the first movie and Thor in the second movie. Like in, in Infinity War, when he comes and lands in Wakanda and just, like, obliterates everybody, before the Avengers Assemble thing, that was my favorite Marvel moment, when he just, boom, landed. When, he, like, when it here. was uh, Bring Me Thanos? Yeah. Like yeah, that was awesome. Destroyed. He was MVP. Yeah, yeah. and then Infinity he throws War. the hammer through through the Infinity Gauntlet and hits Thanos in the chest. Like that was Thor. And I understand why he was so depressed in Endgame. So when he was all fat and whatnot, like I get it. I totally understand why they did that. Coping but mechanism. It, yeah, but it it stayed way too long. It lasted way too long, and it became and didn't. It was funny at first. But it didn't become funny. It didn't stay funny. I think that was a... This is one thing we agree with. I think that was the biggest downfall of Endgame. Yeah. Was the whole Fat Thor thing. I thought when when he gets the hammer or when he puts his armor on, I thought he was going to go back to like his perfect state. Because they set it up in the first Thor movie that he was healed when he was worthy. Yeah. You remember that? So I thought like... That would work the same when the hammer returns to him. I thought it would like return him back to like his best state. Yeah. So, I mean, I, that overstated as well. I thought it definitely took the air out of that. That um, when Iron Man, Captain America, and Thor are fighting Thanos, I was like, "Fat Thor does not belong." And like, I can't take it as seriously as I would if he was like a badass wielding Milner. And the the axe. No, especially because he in Infinity War he came in and he basically beat Thanos by himself. Full like, gauntlet, Thanos. Yeah, and Thanos <laughs> here doesn't have the gauntlet, so as hey, I'm watching, sword, I'm that like, sword's stronger. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that was that was a little bit. Uh, I didn't understand that because. Based on what they had shown in Infinity War, Thor should have been able to handle him by himself. And then with Cap and Tony there, it shouldn't have been that big of a deal. Um, the second thing, I wasn't too big of a problem, but I was really hoping that Hulk would go back to being Hulk. Um, and he was Professor Hulk, which I know was a comic accurate thing, so it's not a huge gripe for me. It's just something I wasn't expecting. And I think it was more of a letdown that we didn't get to see Thor fight Thanos. Um, again, it kind of gets some revenge. I was hoping he was going to come back to being like regular Thor. I mean, regular Hulk, um, like he was in the first Avengers. Is it really a problem? No, because they did that in the comics. Um, but I was, I was expecting more from Hulk, um, in terms of being Hulk. I know he brought everybody back with the snap, so he was an integral part of Endgame, but still. He didn't get to Um, see him mess shit up. No. Um, um, I one thing about that is I think because the whole contract dispute thing isn't Ruffalo still 
on for more with yeah, Marvel. I believe so. You. I think yeah. I think they're going to give him more opportunities to like show off Hulk. I think this movie was more for Evans and uh, Downey Jr. to show off their characters. So you just didn't have enough for Hulk, you know? Yeah. Um, I think the stakes in Infinity War are so much higher. And the reason why is because what what they're trying to do in Endgame is bring everybody back, right? But mm-hmm. if they don't bring everybody back, then nothing changes. Literally nothing changes. They're not, they're not really... In, the, in Infinity War, they're racing to get all of these stones before Thanos. Like, it's literally like a race. And then yeah. they're trying to stop him from wiping out half the population. Like, so every, it's just in terms of, like, the consequence of what's going on, it's a lot bigger in Infinity War. And in Endgame, it's like, yes, they have this hope that they can bring everybody back. But even if it didn't work, nothing changes. And once they bring everybody back, well, then it's just a fight against Thanos. Um, it's just, he, he puts up a good fight. He does put up a very good fight. But I he just thought he doesn't that, even like, need the stones to wipe out the, half the population. I know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, if, if he just showed up, had. if he just showed up twenty years earlier, before Tony had the uh, the Iron Man suit, and before cap was unfrozen he would have wiped out earth in like two days yeah i think i think the reason why he didn't was i I think in the comics like he didn't he didn't think earth was a threat or something i don't know um and that's another so i honestly think the stakes were a lot higher in infinity war and i honestly thought thanos was better in infinity war because in this movie, I know it's more centered around the heroes, and Infinity mm-hmm. War is almost a Thanos movie in, a, yep. in its own right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know that like we weren't going to get as much screen time, but when Thanos was, and I think it's directly because he had the gauntlet um, with him in Infinity War, I just thought he was, I think part of the reason why it works so well is because he's like the best Marvel villain, like by far in terms of this current MCU timeline, and the absence of him in the movie, I think, for me, was kind of a bummer because he was just so game? good. Yeah. Well, they made up for that with relationships they had been building through Cap and Tony, which we didn't get to see in Infinity War. That's a big, big part of Infinity War that kind of makes it not an Avengers movie for me, which I'm not saying, like, oh, it's not an Avengers movie. But, like, it didn't have the same feel as the first and second one because you don't get the cap and tony interaction which i think is like probably the the best relationship that marvel's created yeah yeah which you Um, don't get that's oh that's another thing i don't like about infinity war which is like this is just a personal preference but captain america only has like 10 lines in the whole movie and And honestly i i know i i get that i honestly think infinity war was because you were saying that Endgame was a an Iron Man cat movie. I think Infinity War was an Iron Man movie, and I think Endgame was more of a cat movie. They they definitely gave Captain America a lot more to do. Yeah, and I think like Captain America and Iron Man were on screen a lot, 
but Iron Man wasn't on screen by himself as much. Cap was on screen like by himself a lot. Yeah, they gave him that moment, which I think goes well. I mean, the Russos did both. The Russo brothers did directed both films, but they really know. They also directed um, all of the Captain America movies. Yeah. Or at least from Winter Soldier. I don't know if they did the first Avengers, but no, they did. They know exactly how to pull the strings with this Captain America character and giving them that moment where he's in Peggy's office when they time travel back was just so poignant because they Marvel hasn't really discussed that in a while since Winter Soldier. They haven't approached that whole big part of his life. Yeah. I think that's a big it's a big big character movie for Captain America cuz he's in real like real lifetime he hasn't been asked to do a lot in like the past 3 years since Civil War and even then Civil War was a lot about Iron Man and the Winter Soldier. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. Um and to sort of kind of that was bad English but uh to oh, kind of wrap things this whole thing's full filled with bad English so <laughs> this uh, <laughs> to sort of to sort of wrap up I'll just kind of quickly touch on like a few more things we, we don't have to dive deep into them I thought Infinity War was funnier um I laughed more Marvel does such a good job at having having humor at the right points I thought I thought it was funnier I thought the team-ups in Infinity War were cooler I really liked the idea of and I know that there were team-ups in this movie. I mean, in Endgame as well. But I, I liked seeing all the different... Uh, I think there were more different team-ups in Infinity oh, War. Definitely like, were. Yeah, and like with Doctor Strange meeting meeting everybody. That was really cool. Spider-Man I don't... kind of meeting everybody. The Guardians together um, with Thor. That introduced Guardians and Thor, which might end up being a huge part of Phase 4. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so I thought that was... I thought that was... Um, Nice. And I also thought... Yeah, go ahead. Can I rebuttal it? So the humor thing, I think... uh, This is why I think the stakes in Endgame... Well, the Endgame is just a more serious film. You get that from the the tone in the first half of the movie. Like, the population's dead. There's not... Half the population's dead. They're not really laughing about anything. Especially Hawkeye. He hasn't laughed in, like, five years. Yeah, I know. I think yeah. you also get humor just from the characters because Guardians were a bigger part in Infinity War than they were in Endgame because they weren't even in most of Endgame. And you get um, Peter was in Infinity War and he's a big humor. Like they have more characters to play with the humor in Infinity War mm-hmm. than I think Endgame did. Um, is I I just want to go back to like the stakes. The reason Infinity War has no stakes for me is because Marvel announced that they were doing a Spider-Man 2 Far From Home like immediately after Infinity War was released. So then you're, then you're getting this whole thing like, well, what was this movie for? Like they well, got snapped, but they're obviously coming back. Like that, yeah, that takes I, everything out of that movie. I argue that you knew that was going to happen anyway. Like, Infinity War was always going to have a second movie. So whatever kind of happened in Infinity War besides 
character death. Like, you knew whatever the big thing uh, that was going to happen was probably going to get reversed anyway. So doesn't that make it, whatever happens in Infinity War that much more insignificant to what I don't comes next? Think so because, I don't think so, just because did, heading into Infinity War the first time, did you really think that Thanos at the end of that movie was going to complete the snap? Um, um, short answer, no. I was very shocked when it happened. But secondly... Wait, 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 wait. Secondly, you alluded to it. They announced this was a two-part, like, movie. It was going to be Infinity War Part 1 and 2, and then they just changed the title. So, Mm -hmm. whatever we get from Infinity War doesn't really mean anything because it's reversed in Endgame. But we didn't know that. No, we didn't know exactly what was going to happen. But you can... I think they gave us the ability to at least think that something was going to happen to make it so there needed to be a second movie, which the only way that would have happened was if Thanos won. Or if they introduced another villain in, like, the very end. But I was, to to your point, I was very shocked when the snap happened. I was, well, I was was more shocked of who they chose to get rid of with the Spider-Man and the Black Panther more so. Because they did so well on their own. I was like, oh, well, Howard, like, why would they kill those two off? Like they're obvi- they ob- those two obviously are going to get sequel movies because their movies made so much money. Just like I think the real world presence of that movie kind of defeated the the initial like effect that the snap event had for me for me personally. Right. Um, yeah. No. I because before like heading into Infinity War the first time, I thought they were going to kill Thanos. And then there was just going to be another villain for Endgame. So when the snap happened, I was I was pretty taken aback. Um, so obviously those are those are kind of our thoughts on uh, Infinity War mm-hmm. and Endgame. I know I kind of ranted on Infinity War a little bit. If you have uh, anything, because I know I kind of took hold of that conversation. So, if you have anything about Endgame that you want to say, then yeah, we didn't we, we didn't really discuss. Um, I, we can't go very long, so I'll just um, the the cheap little like going back in the past to the different movies. Um, I'm a real sucker for in Endgame when they go to like Avengers one, and it's like, oh, there's that and that and that. Like, I remember watching Avengers one so long ago, like oh, there's that, and then they just go through all the different films. Like they went to. Thor 2, the worst Marvel movie. They went back to <laughs> Thor the Dark World. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Uh, just those things, like, I eat that stuff up. Like, you could, people can say that's, like, cheap. They're just doing that to get a, like, cheap reaction. But I, th- I thought it was pretty brilliant how they did the whole time travel. And I know, like, that created some opportunities for plot holes and some things that aren't going to be that weren't explained in that movie. But I think if I know Marvel, they're going to explain it 
they pretty much explained how everything works through the 25 movies that they've made so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's that's my thing. Um, and if uh, when we ever, whenever we do our next uh, podcast, which will probably be sometime next week, we can um, or tomorrow. Well, I could. Um, we can uh, we can jump back to Endgame because I know I kind of uh, that was more me giving my part of uh, Infinity War, so we can take time to give uh, your part of Endgame, and then I can rebuttal. If people if people uh, want to hear a part two to that conversation, because I think we both have a lot more we could say. Um, yeah, well, we can give it to them. But yeah. I mean, for right now, I think everyone knows that Endgame's better, so it's it's fine. Okay. Uh, so yeah, uh, we were going to talk about uh, kind of some more current stuff that's going on, but we are running short on time. We got about uh, a minute left. Um, so yeah, that was that was episode one. Hopefully, you guys enjoyed. I know there's probably only like my mom and Jason's mom that have stayed this far through the podcast. <laughs> so thanks. Thanks guys to whoever listened this far. Um, again, if you guys have any ideas for topics or things you want us to talk about, uh, just message us on, on Instagram. I think both of us are going to post something about this first episode. So if you want to comment right there on the post about new to- or different topics that you want to hear, just let us know. And we're, we're not only going to talk about basketball. We, we're both pretty well versed in all the sports. It's just that's what's we're, kind of current right yeah. now. Yeah, we're, we're basketball, football guys. We're both actually more so now, more getting into golf, both of us. Yeah, if you um, want to – I know the Open just happened. Shane Lowry yeah. killed it. Um, I'd love to talk about – your take, Jason, on um, Brooks Kepka and his yep. his deal. That guy's a stud. Yep, I love love Brooks Kepka. Um, so I I've been playing golf longer than Sam, but Sam has kind of uh, turned into this uh, golf aficionado, uh, sort of out of nowhere. So I'm we'll addicted. Have some golf on the channel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, he is more into baseball than I am, so if we have baseball conversations, it'll probably be more towards him, and then I'll just have general thoughts. And if you guys, um, if you guys are looking for baseball, I I really want to talk about because we're we're both from Northern California. I don't know if we made that clear. Um, we're both from Northern California. We're both. I think you're a Giants fan. I just I I watch the playoffs for. Like I'm not really a, a fan of any team, but I mean, if I if you held me if you held a gun to my head and said what team would you root for, I would pick the Giants. We're both, I guess, Giants fans. Then, <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll. I would love to talk about the Giants, but just just anything, you guys. Don't be don't be um, worried. Even if it's something we don't know what it is, I'm I'm more willing I'm willing to research about something that you yeah. guys want want us to talk about. Hundred percent. Yeah. Um, and then uh, we'll try to cover as many sports as we can, especially the big events that go on. Like I know, uh, I know I have some thoughts on the uh, the women's World Cup that recently just happened. Um, that was an amazing tournament to watch. Um, so yeah, we're gonna we're gonna try to keep this rolling as uh, as much as we can. I think we're gonna shoot for uh, once or twice a week. I think that'll be uh, yeah, kind of be our mark. So yeah, um, see how that goes. But yeah. Hope you guys uh, enjoyed episode one, and uh, we'll see if we can get this thing rolling. 
Um, all right, well, that's it for me. Sam, you got anything else? No, but I'm just realizing we need to work on a sign-off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll get to it, though. Because we'll I, I have no idea how we're going to end this. Well, we're going to end it like this. Hope you all have a great day, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.